I got a little spoiler alert for you guys. Here it is. If you are struggling with type 2 diabetes, you do not need to focus on eliminating food groups or even focusing on losing weight. Weight loss is not the answer if you are struggling with diabetes. But we're going to dive into this whole topic right now because I have a very special guest. Her name is Christy. She is a dietitian and certified diabetes educator, and she works with women who have prediabetes or type 2 diabetes, and she helps them gain better control of their blood sugar. And like I said in the beginning, she does all this without focusing on eliminating food groups or even focusing on weight loss. And I think this is so awesome because there are so many misconceptions and myths when it comes to diabetes. And Christy is going to debunk them all and just give it to us straightforward. And I think that is so awesome. So I hope you guys are ready to learn about diabetes. Hey you guys, welcome to the Empowered Podcast, hosted by your girl, Miranda Lee. I hope you're ready to get confident, throw away the all or nothing mindset, fully surrender to God, and strive to be 1% better every day. Don't forget, you are enough, you are worthy, and you are loved. Alrighty, let's get this party started. Hello, Christy. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Hi. Yeah. Thank you for having me. You are the first person to come on here and talk about diabetes. So I'm really excited to learn all these, all these new things and for our listeners to learn about it too. Cause I feel like there are a lot of misconceptions about diabetes. Um, me personally, when I think of diabetes, I think of Nick Jonas. So (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's all I really know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so before we dive into this, can you introduce yourself and tell our audience who you are and what you do? Sure. Yeah. Um, so my name is Christy. I am a dietitian and I am a certified diabetes care and education specialist. Um, so I have been a dietitian for about seven years and I've been a diabetes educator for about two years. Um, And yeah, I've always worked in the diabetes space, always. Um, I used to work in a very weight-centric clinic. Everything was about weight loss. Um, And it never really aligned with me, but I didn't really know how to do diabetes education without it, because that's all I was ever taught in clinical. Um, And so I created my business about a year ago, and it's grown substantially, and I realized once I created my own business, like the misconceptions around diabetes management and around just blood sugar management in general, um, and realized, wow, like this non-diet approach is really needed and like warranted. And, um, yeah, I've had amazing success with my clients. And so I just feel really grateful that it's something that's needed and something I'm passionate about because when I was working in like, you know, teaching people weight loss, it really never aligned with me, but I just felt like I had to do it. Like that's what I was being told to do. Um, so this aligns with me so much more. I think it's going to be so cool talking about this because, um, and I think a lot of health issues that people have, doctors are always just like, oh, you need to lose weight. Mm -hmm. And I just, I feel like that doesn't really identify the root cause of maybe why you're struggling with diabetes or 
maybe weight loss can help, but it's not because you're losing weight. It's because of other things. And I feel like people don't, don't really understand that. And, you know, like you said, you don't need to lose weight to help with your diabetes. So before we, we focus in on that, can you just briefly explain like what diabetes is? I know there's two types. I couldn't tell you the difference, but I know you, I know you can tell me. So can you explain that? Sure. So there's actually five different types of diabetes, um, but the the most common would be um, type one and type two. So type one um, is autoimmune, meaning um, it usually starts at like um, juvenile age. So young kids, um, it can start later, but it's basically just the failure of the pancreas altogether. The pancreas is no longer releasing insulin at all. Um, so type one, people living with type one diabetes have to be on a pretty strict insulin regimen their whole entire life. Um, and type two is where I focus. I focus on prediabetes and type two um, would be something that usually happens more in adulthood, although we are seeing it in like teenagers and kids, um, which never really was the case. And now it is. And that's basically where your pancreas is still releasing insulin, but you might be really insulin resistant, meaning that your cells are not responding to insulin appropriately. And we need insulin to bring our blood sugars down. Um, or your pancreas is not releasing enough or it's releasing enough, but your cells are not responding well. Um, it really just depends. We don't know the root cause of insulin resistance and why that happens, but we know things that contribute to it. Um, so that elevated blood sugar over a period of time is what leads to diabetes. And it's basically like a dysregulation of your blood sugars. Let me think then the other three, would one of them be like gestational diabetes? Does that fall into that would be like diabetes and pregnancy. They also have, um, two others that are very challenging. Um, and I don't see a lot of clients with them, but one of them is called LADA and it's like a latent autoimmune, uh, diabetes. So it's kind of like type one, but it happens like later in life. Cause we usually see that in like young, young children or like juvenile age. Um, and the other one is called Modi and, um, it's like a mature onset of diabetes. And that one's really challenging because sometimes the pancreas is working wonderfully and sometimes it's not until it doesn't anymore. Um, and so that can be really challenging to manage as well, but yeah, for, I mean, I mainly focus in type two and pre-diabetes, um, but I'm pretty well versed in, in all of them. So, so with pre-diabetes, do you, are there like some signs or symptoms that, um, maybe people can, can look for before like a doctor says, oh, you're pre-diabetic. Like, is there something we should be looking out for? You know, I wish that there were oftentimes, even in diabetes, there aren't signs and symptoms, um, which is really, really unfortunate. Sometimes people go into the doctor and they get lab draw and they have diabetes. Um, there are some symptoms of diabetes and maybe of prediabetes, like extreme thirst, extreme urination, um, extreme hunger, extreme fatigue. Those would be symptoms, but I would say that the majority of my clients who are newly diagnosed did not have symptoms. Um, and so I always talk about like preventative care, you know, like if you have a family history of diabetes, getting your lab work checked like once a year or once every six months, um, because genetics play a huge role in all of our health. Um, and so I think preventatively making sure that you're just kind of getting in that yearly exam by your doctor and getting yearly lab work by your doctor, because signs and symptoms aren't always going to happen. So what are some other ways we can prevent diabetes? And I guess my question that goes with that is, 
for type two diabetes, which is not something like you said, you were born with, how do you end up getting type two diabetes? There's so many nuances to it. I mean, um, just like how any, that any way that we end up with like high cholesterol or heart disease. I mean, there's so many things that go into the diagnosis. Um, I mean, there's major contributing factors that include like genetics is a huge one for all of us. Um, another one would be like your diet and your lifestyle, kind of how you eat throughout the day. Um, you know, do you eat a, a, a diet that's really high in sugar that in, and carbohydrates in general, um, over a long, long period of time? Um, are you sedentary? Do you not move your body a lot? Um, and other things like PCOS insulin resistance can lead to type two diabetes as well. So people who have like these underlying conditions can sometimes lead to type two diabetes as well. So there's so many reasons why someone ends up with type two diabetes, which drives me, which is why it drives me nuts when people just say like weight is the reason. Like if someone is quote unquote overweight or quote unquote obese, which I don't even like to use those words. I don't go based on the BMI scale, but if we're talking like in those terms that they use at the doctor's office, um, then people are quote unquote at risk for diabetes, but technically anyone can develop diabetes. And I've seen people of all sizes on all of the whole weight spectrum, um, develop diabetes. And I have some, I have a, I have a few really amazing followers on Instagram who anytime I post about this, they comment and they're like, yes, I fall in the quote unquote normal BMI and I was diagnosed. I have an active lifestyle, you know? So those, those stories are so amazing to share because it really breaks that myth that only people above a certain weight or with a certain BMI end up with diabetes. Cause that's just not true. That's so interesting. I'm, I'm glad that you're bringing awareness to this because yeah, this is probably a misconception that like 99.9% of people truly believe and, you know, this goes into you not focusing on weight loss for helping people who are pre-diabetic or, or have type two diabetes. So can you explain, um, like, let's say you have a client who does have type two diabetes instead of, you know, eliminating, eliminating food groups or focusing on weight loss, how would you approach their diabetes to help them out? It really depends on what they come to me with, you know, some people are newly diagnosed. So that's a lot of education, a lot of understanding what these numbers even mean. Usually people aren't given that in the doctors. So they have these numbers that they're now looking at and they have no clue what they're supposed to be looking for, how often they should be testing their blood sugars. So the people who are newly diagnosed, their education and my approach with them is a lot different than the people who have had diabetes for a long time and they're just trying to manage their sugars. So it could really depend. Um, but we do talk about food because food does play a role in our blood sugar management. Um, so we do talk about like carbohydrates, never eliminating them or restricting them, but learning how to pair them with other foods to balance our blood sugars better. Um, keeping in mind that we all have a different carb tolerance, meaning, you know, my carb tolerance might be different than yours. That might be different from someone else's. So we talk a lot about that. Um, and we also dig into a lot of areas that affect us all, which would be like stress and sleep and exercise. I think that people put such an emphasis on what they eat that we forget that there's all of these other things that contribute to like our blood sugars, our blood pressures. Um, and so I really like to make an emphasis on those as well, because ignoring that is kind of ignoring like the person as a whole. Like if we go to the doctors and they tell us, okay, lose weight, we'll see you in three months. 
like that doesn't learn the person. Like you're not understanding that, that what if that person's going through a great loss or a ton of grief or what if that person is, I mean, there's a billion things. What if they're not sleeping? What if they're getting like four or five hours of sleep a night? Um, all of those things can contribute to our blood sugar. So I make sure that we tackle all of that and that people know what their goals should be. And it's different for every single person. Yeah. I like that you say it's different for every single person, because even with, you know, if it was PCOS or having diabetes or, you know, struggling with anything with our health, it's not fitness and nutrition is not a one size fits all. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it explains why you don't have one direct answer. Cause if there was one direct answer, the doctors would be giving it to us. And I think that's why the doctors are just like, Oh, lose weight. And then if you don't lose weight or you do lose weight and doesn't fix anything, they'll probably put you on some type of medication. And mm-hmm. it's like, you, you can't even really like blame the doctors because you're only in there for like 10 minutes and they don't get to know you. And like you said, your life, your background, your struggles, anything like that. So I think that's why it's so great to, for people who are struggling with this to find someone like you who specializes in it and who will learn about your life and your unique situation instead of, you know, unfortunately doctors who normally just like to, you know, put a bandaid on things. So I think that's, that's really awesome. Yeah, definitely. And I, um, I mean, and something I've found after being in this space, uh, like through Instagram is that most people don't even get, um, offered a referral to a dietitian or a diabetes educator. So they write me on Instagram and complete frantic because they just had this new diagnosis and they're like, I don't know what to eat. I don't know what to do. My first question to them is, did your doctor offer a referral to a dietitian or diabetes educator? And I can honestly say probably 98% of the time they tell me no. And so you give this, you give someone this really scary diagnosis and kind of send them on their way. And what's the first thing they do? They go to Dr. Google and they start typing things in and Google spits out random information. Like, I mean, you can find literally anything on Google. And so, you know, usually the top thing that they find is weight loss and cutting out carbohydrates. So that's what they do. They, you know, that's where they focus on instead of focusing on like their current lifestyle, what they can fix now, but at no fault of their own, because they don't, people don't know what they don't know. Right. Like they just do the best that they can with what they got. Some people don't even know that diabetes educators exist, that someone that, you know, can work with you specifically on this new diagnosis. Like some people don't even know that we exist. And I think like, that's great that we're like doing this podcast. So people at least know if they're ever in this situation, they can ask their doctor, like, Hey, can I have a referral to, you know, a dietitian or a, you know, a diabetes educator? I I think that's so important. We don't even know, you know, the questions asked and, Mm -hmm it's probably really like overwhelming to be diagnosed with something like this and then not even really know the next steps to take. Yeah. Yeah. Or feeling like, you know, I work with people of all cultures. So, you know, or, you know, feeling like, Oh, uh, like I have a Hispanic patient. She, and she all of a sudden was like, can I not eat my cultural foods? Like, that's what I was told was to cut out carbohydrates, but my, my cultural foods are carbohydrates. It's tortillas and beans and rice. Um, and so that like really affects the person because then they feel like, like who they are, like the, you know, like to the core is being challenged and, um, it just is is super frustrating. And so, yeah, I always tell people like advocate for yourself. I mean, we're in a pretty cool era where like social media has amazing, like, 
resources that I don't feel that we had, like even five years ago, um, you know, like five years ago, I never thought I would be like on Instagram, like teaching or promoting courses or coaching or anything like that. Um, but I think it's really cool where like this space has gone, but it's also kind of scary because there are people out there who are not, um, certified in what they're teaching and also teach things that can be really harmful. So it makes me really sad for people who just get the wrong direction constantly. You know, they don't really know what to look for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why it's so important for us to, you know, do our homework and whatnot and find reliable sources. But I really want to go back and talk about the the carbs. Um, can you explain? Cause I hate how diet culture really demonizes carbs. Like there's nothing Always. wrong with carbs. Yeah. I know day. like it's a whole, it's a whole macronutrient. Like we need it for a reason. So can you explain why just eliminating carbs isn't the answer when it comes to diabetes? Sure. Yeah. So, um, carbohydrates first get, they get demonized in the diabetes world because carbohydrates do affect our blood sugars. If no matter what carbohydrate you eat, if you eat an apple, if you eat a Snickers, if you eat a bag of chips, if you eat a banana, if you eat rice, all of those are carbohydrates. They're all going to affect our blood sugars. So that's where it gets demonized in the diabetes world is like, okay, carbs spike blood sugars equal bad, but that's not necessarily true. When you cut out a whole food group, you're not just cutting out. Like when people cut out carbohydrates, they're not just cutting out like chips and processed carbohydrates. They're also cutting out oatmeal and fruit and all these other things as well. So when you're cutting out a whole food group, you're relying on two other macronutrients, which is fat and protein, um, which are also play a major role in our diet. Like I don't think any of the macronutrients should be cut. Um, but when you're cutting carbohydrates, you're also cutting out fiber, which is a key blood sugar stabilizing nutrient. It's super important to keep us regular, to keep our blood sugar stabilized, um, to keep us feeling full. That's where we get our micronutrients from. Um, so when you cut out a whole food group, I always tell people, if you're cutting out this whole food group, you have to ask yourself like, okay, yeah, I'm cutting out chips and all these things, but what else are you cutting out? Because their carbohydrates are the umbrella and there's so much that falls beneath it. Um, and so it's not the answer for a few reasons. One, um, most people find it unsustainable. So they cut out carbohydrates. Maybe that works for a little while and then they start craving them again. That's biology, not because anything is wrong with you, but because you're cutting something out. So that's what you're going to crave. Um, and then they end up eating way too many carbohydrates and then their blood sugars spike, um, which then reinforces like, Oh, carbohydrates are bad, but it's actually bad to restrict over that period of time. That's what led to overeating the carbs in the first place. Um, and another reason why car cutting carbohydrates is not the reason is because when you're cutting out a whole macronutrient, you're increasing the amount of protein and fat you're eating which is totally fine. But if you're only relying on protein and fat, then what happens is you are eating a diet that's pretty high in fat. And all of a sudden your cholesterol is sky high and your blood pressure is sky high. Um, and so it's like, yeah, your blood sugars might be lower or, you know, you might lose weight or whatever the reason for going keto or cutting carbs is. But after a period of time, you actually become more insulin resistant because you're eating too much fat than is what is recommended for us or that we can process, right? Because now you're only relying on those two macronutrients. Um, and people who do keto for a period of time or cut out carbs for a period of time actually start to see a rise again in their blood sugars because they're becoming more insulin resistant. So now when they do eat a carbohydrate food, they're 
their blood sugar spike, like they spikes like crazy because their body is no longer used to it. And it's becoming more insulin resistant because now we're eating way too much fat than what's recommended. Another reason why keto is not the answer. Yeah. <laughs> we'll probably be preaching that forever. Probably. Right. So, so then what is, um, a better way to gain control of your blood sugar? If the answer is obviously not cutting out carbs. So, um, I mean, and this is so individualized, which is why working with someone is so important because, you know, some people may not eat a lot of carbs in general, but they still have diabetes. So, you know, we have to find a way to lower their blood sugars that don't necessarily have to do with carbs. I think making sure you're eating like protein and fat with a carbohydrate. I always tell people don't eat carbohydrates naked, meaning like on their own. So if you have like a banana, try and pair it with something like peanut butter just to help stabilize that blood sugar spike. Um, that's a pretty general idea for everybody, even if you don't have diabetes. I mean, I don't know about you, but like if I eat like just an apple, I'm going to be pretty hungry shortly after I eat that apple. But if I eat it with peanut butter and, you know, honey on it or something, I'm going to feel a lot more satisfied for a longer period of time. So I kind of teach people that method Um, but also make them aware that like, this is how everybody should eat. Like we'd be more satisfied. We would, um, feel more full. We would get more macronutrients in if we all kind of adopted that way of eating. So I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to hear your point of view anyways. In the beginning of, um, our talk, you said that, you know, type two diabetes has, you know, number of people have increased. It's been starting a lot younger. So why is that? Why are younger people um, being pre-diabetic or developing type two diabetes? I think there's so much that goes into it. I think, I think it, a lot of it is genetics. A lot of it is, um, you know, parents don't, they don't know what they don't know. So, you know, they, you know, maybe they have diabetes and they're trying to cut all their carbohydrates and then they're doing that with their kids because they're worried their kids are going to develop diabetes, which we just talked about backfires, right? I also think that kids are just a lot more sedentary than they used to be, um, especially after the pandemic. I mean, sports, everything was completely gone. Like no one was able to do anything. Um, So I think that that's probably a major reason, you know, is the genetics just not being as active as they once were. Um, And I mean, we don't have like that kind of education in schools anymore, just like we don't have sex education in a lot of schools anymore. We also don't have like health education in schools like they all of that's kind of cut out. So I don't think that kids get that education either when they should be. Yeah, I, I like the phrase um, that it's like, you know, genetics load the gun, but it's our lifestyle that that can pull mm-hmm. the trigger. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I think the same is going on with like gluten intolerance because and, and celiac disease, because, um, you know, my sister has celiac disease. Um, I have an intolerance, but I actually figured out the reason why I'm intolerant to gluten is because I was on birth control for 10 years and it just completely like destroyed my gut health. But like Mm -hmm. people are like, oh, everyone's becoming gluten-free now. Well, it's because of our gut health and, you know, all these high, highly processed foods that are just cheaper and easier to get a hold of. So, you know, it sounds like the same is with diabetes as well, especially in in like low income areas. I'm sure it's just so much easier to buy, you know, the packaged food and processed food than, you know, being able to afford, um, you know, whole foods that are better for your gut health and just better for you in general. 
Right. Yeah. And I, you know, even in low income areas is where I wish that there was actually more education because actually, I mean, they have a lot of packaged foods now that are great. I mean, they've come out with so many things that are affordable and they're easy. You know, I wish people felt like, oh, I'm allowed to eat canned vegetables. Like I have so many people tell me like, am I allowed to eat canned vegetables? Like they, there's just like so much about diet culture that makes people feel like if I'm not going to whole foods and spending $500 on my week of food, then I'm not doing something right. And I love combating that. I talk to my clients all the time about their food choices, how we can make it fit in their budget eating frozen vegetables and fruit, eating canned fruit and vegetables. Um, those are, they're more convenient. They last a lot longer and they are way cheaper, especially when we're not in summer, like nothing's in season when you're in the winter. So, you know, some people expect people to buy like $9 blueberries for like three ounces of blueberries. Like that's just crazy. Like, um, and so I think like, you know, that's where also education comes in is teaching people like you can eat these things and we can make this fit in your budget. You don't have to eat like this whole food, not processed diet in order to maintain healthy blood sugars or like a healthy blood pressure or healthy state of living. Right. Like there's so many nuances to that where education is really important. Yeah, I like that you bring that up because it's so true. The amount of things that are demonized just in diet culture is is ridiculous. Like even like you said, the canned food, the frozen food, like it's it's convenient and cheaper, you know, like you said, especially cuz like like frozen frozen veggies, they're picked and and froze at the peak of its freshness. Exactly. So yeah, why so not? I mean, and they're just so much cheaper and honestly easier. Like they're already cut up, like, Mm -hmm. you know, talking about like time, money and health, like there is a happy medium there. And I think people feel like they have to choose one or the, you know, one, and then the other ones fall by the wayside. Like if they're choosing their health, then they're going to sacrifice a ton of time and a ton of money. But really like all of those things can coexist in one, but people aren't taught that they're taught to pick one and go with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that all or nothing mentality that we're taught that is just, it takes over everything. So what are some other like myths or misconceptions when it comes to diabetes or like any of the people that you work with? Maybe they come to you and they're like, oh, you know, I, I have to lose weight. What are some other other myths that you Oh my hear? gosh, so many. The main ones are I have to lose weight to manage my blood sugars. That's the biggest one. Um, also, I can't eat carbohydrates. That's another big one. Um, some people come to me and think that because their family member has it, they're going to have it no matter what, like, it's just going to happen. Um, some people come to me and they're shocked that they, that they have it because they don't have a family history of it. So those are two misconceptions, you know, that if your if your family member doesn't have it, that you can never get it. That's not true. Um, or that your family member has it, that you, by default, you're going to have it. That's also not true. Um, some people think that they have to be on insulin right away, you know, that, and there's a whole array of oral medications that are wonderful for people living with diabetes. Um, if you have type one, yes, you'll have to be on insulin because your pancreas is not working. Um, but in type two, like that's kind of like the last thing that's recommended. Um, that's not like right off the bat that people are on insulin, um, that people can't eat desserts. Um, that's another huge one I hear is that they can't eat dessert even, you know, at all. I've had people, you know, say like, oh, it was my son's birthday and I skipped eating cake. And that like breaks my heart because there's a way to eat cake 
that's still going to be mindful of your blood sugars, but without that knowledge and without, you know, understanding that, of course they think they can't have it. Um, so yeah, lots of restriction and like shaming, I feel like is what people come to me the most with. So what words of encouragement do you have for, you know, any listeners who are struggling with diabetes or maybe they're pre-diabetic and they think that they're not going to be able to enjoy any of their favorite foods now? Mm-hmm. I, oh, I would tell people like, get that education, ask your doctor for a referral to a dietitian or diabetes educator, um, find one online. I mean, there's like a few pretty awesome diabetes educators on Instagram that I've connected with. Um, and we all use the same approach. Like if you feel like what you're doing right now is not something you can see yourself doing in 10 years, then you have to intervene. Like you have to figure out a different way. Um, because I always tell people that like, if you, if you are cutting out carbs right now and like, it's working for you, do you see yourself doing that in 10 years? Like, do you see yourself still being keto, like making everything with cheese and bacon and like totally eliminating like bread and vegetables and the, and fruit. Um, and most people, everyone I've ever worked with says no. And that's why they end up seeking me out. So, um, I think, you know, advocate for yourself, get the education because it's out there. Um, even if you were just told blanket information from your doctor. So how can our listeners find you and reach out to you and connect with you? Um, so my Instagram handle is type two diabetes nutritionist. Um, and I also have a website. It's dietitian Christie, um, K R I S T I E.com. So either of those ways are a great way to reach me. Okay. Awesome. I will link those in the show notes so people can reach out to you and connect with you, but thank you so much for coming on and teaching us all about, all about type two diabetes. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Well, that was awesome. I'm so grateful for people like Christy who are just teaching us the truth around diseases like diabetes, where we think that the answer is just weight loss or eliminating entire food groups. And that is not the answer. So thank you again to Christy for coming on. Make sure you guys, whether you struggle with diabetes or not, I think it is so important just to be educated on all these different topics. So go give her a follow on Instagram. Like I said before, her link is in the show notes for this episode, but I hope you guys enjoyed it a lot. And if you are not part of my Facebook empowerment community, that is definitely the place to be because as you can see, healing your relationship with food, knowing the basics of nutrition and having that support and accountability is so important for your health in all aspects, whether it is just trying to be the healthiest version of you or if you are struggling with illness, disease, diabetes, um, fatigue, like there's just so many benefits to learning how to properly nourish yourself and to get moving. So go ahead and join my free Facebook empowerment community where we are all about ditching diets, but still making small, sustainable, consistent steps toward our goal. You can go to bit.ly, so B-I-T dot L-Y slash Miranda Lee F-B as in Facebook, and you guys already know it's in the show notes as well. But I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I will catch you in the next one. Bye.